Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Oh, the sound of those feet. It doesn't seem like long ago that I was one of those feet scampering out of here, heading to Children's Choir. Uh, it is so good to be here. I am Jeremy Herr, the son of Kyle and Nancy Herr, and that is still their pew, apparently. I grew up sitting right there, three rows back on the pastor's right side. It is really great to be here. Uh, one of the questions that I get asked that is really hard for me to answer these days is the question, where are you from? And for me, my wife, Laura, and I, and my son, Christian, who is here this morning, and our daughter, Ellie, uh, we now have lived in New York, eastern Long Island, for 12 and a half years, and that is very much our home. We love it there. We love working at the church we are at, Eastport Bible Church. My son was born, and my daughter was born a New Yorker, go figure, and uh, so that is home. But for me, this morning, this place is home and will always be home. And it is so good this morning to be home with all of you. So many faces that I still recognize and some new faces. It's good to see you here and a part of what's happening here at Berean Bible Church in Shoreline, Washington. Um, A couple of months ago or so, I'm not exactly sure the date, but uh, I did hear my friend, my dear friend, Glenn Johnstone, Uh, went home to be with the Lord, and I wasn't able to be here, sadly, for his memorial service. But I just want to say a couple of words before we jump in, because I certainly would have loved to have been here for that. And uh, for me, uh, as a high schooler growing up in this church, we had this program called Hang Time. And every, uh, I believe it was Tuesday and Thursday at 3 to 5 p.m., we would come. Steve is here. Yes, yeah, Steve used to come and ball with us. And uh, it was a bunch of us punk kids, right, Steve? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I was getting there. Punk, you're not you're not one of the punk kids. I respect you too much to put you in that category. Uh, Pastor Jim would come and play, and Glenn Johnstone, for several years, quite a few years, was there refereeing us punk kids and Pastor Jim. And, and he was there. He was present, making the calls, and there wasn't a single Tuesday, Thursday that went by that I'd show up and he'd pull me aside and just ask me face to face, How are you doing, Jeremy? How is life? How is everything? And that man, I love that man. And I am so thankful for the ways in which he inspired me and encouraged me and challenged me. And he taught me such an important lesson for maybe just being a Christian, maybe living out the Christian life, maybe the essential part of it is simply just showing up. And simply just being present with people. And Glenn, there was no reason. He was retired. I'm sure he had a hundred different things he could have been doing. But he just showed up. And he just was there to love us and to help us and to be with us. 
And so I will always be thankful for Glenn. I talked to Peggy. I'm not sure where she is. I talked to her just before the service. But uh, Peggy, I really, really loved your husband. And I am so thankful for him and the impact he had on my life. And that lesson that he taught me to just show up is certainly a, a, a ministry lesson that has suited uh, our ministry very well. And so I'm forever grateful for Glenn and um, I'm sure you all and uh, certainly Peggy will miss him dearly. Um, All right, this morning, uh, let us jump in. So I was thinking uh, a couple of months ago about the marks on things. There are marks that are identifying features on certain things. For instance, you pull out a pair of shoes and if it has this little mark on it, this little swoosh that it's been known in popular culture, all of a sudden it identifies that shoe as something different. If it's just any old shoe with no marks like, ah, oh, that's just a shoe. But this one with the swoosh, all of a sudden it's something different and it brings back and calls back all sorts of images to maybe a commercial you saw or an athlete that wore these shoes or this uh, thing, this mark will like pop in your head and identify this shoe with that. There's marks on cars. You'll be driving down the street and you'll see a car and if it has a certain mark, you might go, whoa, that is a Ford. I don't know who says that. Whoa, that's a Chevy. <laughs> Whoa, that's a Lamborghini, right? Maybe that's a better uh, analogy of that. But it has a mark. And there's sometimes that some people do this thing that you can buy a car, you can pull off the marks, and you can go on eBay and buy different marks and put them on your car. And so you might have an old beater Ford, but it has Lamborghini marks. You're like, what? doesn't... It doesn't make sense. And so the mark on something matters and it makes such a big difference. You walking down the food aisle in your local grocery store and you might be in the macaroni and cheese section and there is a blue box, a beautiful blue box that says craft on it and it's craft macaroni and cheese. And right next to that beautiful blue box is the other box. Might be like green with gross yellow writing and it just looks. And the craziest thing happens is we'll pick the blue box even though it's twice as much money. A couple examples. My dad and I and son went to Safeway last night and uh, there is this beverage. Some of you may be familiar with. I don't particularly like this beverage, but you may have or be very familiar with this. You see this bottle and you see this mark, Dr. Pepper, and it brings up images. It may be you walk and you see this bottle and you go, oh, I will only drink the one with that particular mark. But the amazing thing is you walk right next to that Dr. Pepper bottle and you'll see Dr. Dynamite. And you go, man, we got Dr. Pepper, you got Dr. Dynamite, and this smaller bottle, it's only 1.5 liters, and this one that's two, two liters, this one costs 47 cents more for less, but yet we as humans do this thing to where we'll grab this one anyway. And some of you are like, well, it just tastes better. Well, let me take off the marks and see if you can notice the difference. Another example, 
my favorite, one of the most bland but yet popular foods ever known to humanity, Rice Krispies, right? The only redeeming feature to Rice Krispies is the sugar you put on top. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And so in the food aisle, you will see Rice Krispies with the blue box, Rice Krispies made by Kellogg's, I believe in Battle Creek, Michigan. And you will see this box and right next to it is crispy rice with a C instead of a K. But you as the consumer, we as humans will walk down the aisle and this is half the price. But yet, which one will we buy? This one. And if it's not true, some of you are like, no, I'm this version. I get this every time. Your kids are like, yeah, I know. They get that one every time. (laughs) But here's the thing. Like, it's half the price, but we still get this. And if we weren't consuming this one over this one, these guys would be out of business and all you would see in the store is this one. But yet the marks for us matter. They make a huge difference. And we are so um, convinced uh, by what we purchased and in our lives by the marks on things. And so I was thinking about this. And as Christians, what is our mark? What is our identifying feature that when people see us, when people see our churches, when people think of Christians, they identify us as this? What is that? What is that mark? What is that identifying feature? What is it that they think of us? And sadly, it seems in popular culture, the identifying mark that Christians often have, it starts with a four-letter word, anti Something we as Christians were anti this we're against this we're anti this we're against that But the reality is is Jesus when he was here on earth teaching preaching um, Doing all of the things he did he was so clear What his followers what his disciples what later us as Christians what should be our mark. And so we are going to explore that this morning. If you wouldn't mind, we are going to turn to John chapter 13. We will start in verses 34 and 35. John 13, 34. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples. And he's giving them a command, a really, really important command. And Jesus says this, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus here is saying, hey, you are following me. You are my disciples. Uh, This is to be your mark. This is a new command. I give you love one another. 
So I was so curious about these words. The first uh, two words, well, the second and third word, a new command. I was curious what this was all about, what it was talking about. It's a Greek word, new, is kinos. And it has this idea that it's new and distinctive, very much like we would think of something new. But this is a new paradigm. This is a shift in the old way. And that word command, it has, it often was connected to a king declaring a new commission. And so a king saying, the old way used to be this, the new way is this. And it is a new distinctive commission or command by a king. And so the old way is out, the new way is in. But as I was thinking about this, love one another. That's not a new command. You can go in the Old Testament. You can go through the Torah, the first five books in the Old Testament, and you can see all over love one another, love your neighbor. And there's all these connections. You read the ancient rabbis and they were teaching this idea of loving one another. And so this isn't necessarily a new command. And so my mind is going, well, Jesus is saying it's a new command. He's imploring them to do this. But what is new about this command? And I think that what is the tell in this about the new command is what it continues on to say. Verse 34, the second half, a new command I give you, love one another. The next sentence, here it is, I believe. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus isn't necessarily saying this idea of love one another is this new command, this new commission. But the new thing here is to love one another just as I have loved you. And so Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, the way you've seen me do it, do it like that. The way you've seen me love, do it like that. The way you've seen me give of myself and serve others, do it like that. Maybe before you didn't have a clear picture of what it meant to truly love one another. And Jesus is here saying, okay, I've now showed you the way. This is how you do it. And the word love, I'm sure from this pulpit you've heard many times that Greek word for love. It is the word agape. And it is really interesting, and I love how Greek has these three distinctive words for love. In the English language, we don't do the word love a great deal of justice because we just have one word for love. I can love My parents, my parents sacrificed for me, gave to me, showed me the way all of this. They poured into me. They invested in me. I love my parents. My son is here. There is something about a father to a son, a parent to a child, that there is this unconditional love that you have for one another. I could meet one of you uh, for the first time today. And we could connect and we could build a relationship. And I come back in seven months and and we build it a little bit further. And then I come back again a year from now. And and all of a sudden we have this close connection. I say, man, I love you, man. (laughs) Or we could say, man, we have these sports teams. I love my sports team. I love them. I love my local supermarket. I love my teacher this year. It's like, is that the same kind of love? That we have for a parent, for a son, as you have for a sports team or a a teacher or a supermarket or I love my whatever, fill in the blank. And so we use the same word for all of these different things. But in the Greek, 
there is this word agape that is set apart. It's often attributed to God's love that is self-giving and selfless. It is sacrificial. It is putting all others uh, above yourself. It is giving and selfless and self-giving. And so that is the sort of love that Jesus said, okay, a new command, love one another just as I have loved you, just as I came to show you what agape love is all about, you now show that to others. So I don't know if you're like me, but that love one another, uh, that's easy when we agree with people. <laughs> love one another, oh, that's easy when they love me or they respect me or they're kind to me. I'll love them, no problem, easy. But how is it for us when we are called to love one another when we disagree with them? Or maybe they think differently than us. Or maybe we see on the news, man, this person saying this and man, I disagree with them so much. How do we love them and how do we love those that maybe think different and act different and people in our community that need that love but maybe we don't really see eye to eye with them the thing about that phrase love one another is it doesn't really distinguish between people it's inclusive it's love one another go out and love them whether you agree with them whether they show you love back whether you disagree with them whether they're not very loving to you it's saying love one another in fact if jesus was here on earth and he was selective with who he loved based on how they acted to him i think he would have been a lot more selective with who he hung out with and how he acted and lived out his life. And so for us, this love, it can't have strings attached. In fact, once we attack, uh, attach strings or conditions to love, it instantly turns into something else, doesn't it? Once we attach conditions on love, all of a sudden it's not that agape love. All of a sudden it's not self-giving. It's not selfless love that Jesus says, do as I have done. Love as I have loved. And so often we do this. We, we slap strings and conditions on to love. We'll say, well, I love that person when they do this. Or I will love her better if she would just stop doing that. Or she's making me real upset so... I kind of love her less or I won't don't want to be around her anymore because she's doing this or he's doing that. And so the second we play, uh, place attach strings and conditions on love, it instantly turns into something else. And so I'll ask the question this morning, what is our identifying mark? What is it when people look at my life and they say, Jeremy, her is blank? What is that? Well, Jeremy Hur, he loves well if he does that or when he's like that, but other times not so much. And for us, how about you? She is a Christian, so she blank. What is that word? What word would they fill it in when talking about you? Or how about you, Berean Bible Church as a community? Berean Bible Church blank. What are they saying about you? What are your neighbors 
saying about you? What do they think of you? What is it that is your identifying mark? What is it that they see in you when they look at Berean Bible Church? The amazing thing about this statement that Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This comes right after Jesus shows them so incredibly in a practical way his selfless, self-giving agape love. And so let's glance at John 13. Verse 2, we will start in an incredible practical way that Jesus showed this self-giving love. Verse 2, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Verse 4, so he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later You will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, I love this. Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And so Jesus is enjoying this final meal with his disciples. And they are sitting at this table, whether it's long, round, whatever it is, and they are enjoying this meal together. And some of you may recall in Luke 22, it shows this, Luke describes this very same scene where Jesus is having this final meal with his disciples. And you may also remember What happened in Luke's depiction of this final meal? That they're sitting at this table and they're enjoying this meal, this last chance to eat with Jesus. As we know, as the story unfolded, he's about to be convicted of a crime he didn't commit. He's about to be put on trial and hung on the cross and then eventually rise from the dead. And so this is happening, their last chance to have this meal with him. And all of a sudden, at this meal, according to Luke 22, they start arguing amongst themselves, who is the greatest? Who's the greatest? You can imagine this scene. Jesus sharing his heart, enjoying this meal, enjoying this last chance to fellowship and connect with these disciples who have been following around for three years now. And all of a sudden, you can see one elbowing the other. It's me. I'm, I'm the greatest. No, 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 it's me. I walked on water to Jesus. And they're like, yeah, but you lost faith and fell, Peter. And then Andrew's like, yeah, but I'm the one who told you about him in the first place. And they're going back and forth and there's this argument. It's me. I'm the greatest. I'm the best. I'm the one. I am the greatest. And then I imagine, I don't know exactly the chronology of how this meal went, how we can piece together Luke 22 and John 13, but I've always imagined that Jesus, rather than saying a word, rather than maybe doing the typical parent thing, knock it off, kids, none of you are, or whatever, go to your rooms, however we would do that, Jesus gets up, 
from his seat. It says he takes off his outer garment. He puts a towel around his waist. He goes and he grabs the basin and he's down scrubbing on his knees, the scrub, uh, scrubbing the feet of the disciples. I mean, what a brilliant picture that is of self-giving, selfless love. The disciples were arguing who's the greatest. And I can't imagine a more opposite portrayal of what agape love is than them starting to dispute who's the greatest. It's me. It's me. No, it's me. And Jesus gets up and he washes his disciples' feet. And then it says, Jesus says to his disciples, he says in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. So is Jesus here literally telling us, telling the disciples to wash one another's feet? Yes, I think so. Is Jesus here figuratively telling his disciples to wash one another's feet? Yes, I think so. He's saying both. I mean, if it comes to serving and comes to living out this agape love, this self-giving love, and if it comes to having to wash your brother, your sister's feet, then do it and do it with all your heart and do it with the very same love that I have shown you. As I have loved you, you also should wash one another's feet. And I also think that Jesus very much meant it figuratively. You know what? Go and live the way you're going to live. And every step of the way, love others as I have loved you. Go and wash one another's feet. And let it be that you, as a disciple, let it be that your identifying mark is that you love one another. If they are wondering what you are all about, and they are wondering what I have taught you now for three years... Let it be that they know that you love one another. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 verse 6 reiterates a very same theme that Jesus does in the Gospels there in John. And Paul writes, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I want to read this again. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Whenever you hear a phrase like that, the only thing that counts, what does that say? What is that meaning? This is the main thing. This is the only thing that counts. If you're going to put all else to the side, this is the main thing. And so we as churches, we have all of these elements. We have all of these really important things. And we want to be in God's word and we want to study it and we want to know it and we want to worship and we want to fellowship and we want to do all of these things. And they are so important. But Paul here is saying the only thing, the main thing is faith expressing itself through love. This is it. This is the main thing. Second John verse six, John writes, as you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. 
I've always wondered what John was referring to as the beginning. I don't think he was going all the way back to Genesis 1. He wasn't going to the beginning of time. I think John, and John, obviously we know, he wrote later. It's one of the latest letters written, 90 AD-ish. And so he's writing much later, long after Jesus had lived, died, resurrected, long after Paul wrote and all of those things. So the Christian movement was rolling at this time. And I think, I think... John here is referring, you know what, when Jesus, at that time, when he said, you know what, love one another just as I have loved you. When that whole thing began, that's when we learned, you know what, let's go forward. His command, Jesus' command to us is that you walk in love. That's not really a phrase that we would use much, even in Christian communities. What does that mean to walk in love? But I encourage all of us, I certainly work at this in my own life. Sometimes I get it right, sometimes I do not get it right. But I encourage us as we walk into work tomorrow, what does that look like for you to walk in love? What does it look like in your relationship with your husband or your wife? What does it look like to walk in love? What does it mean and what does it look like to have that agape, that self-serving, self-giving love? What does that look like in your life? And what does it look like amongst your friends to walk in love? And how about this? What does it look like for us amongst the people maybe we don't get along with very well to walk in love? What does it look like with that coworker? You know... That coworker who pushes all the right buttons. What does it look like to walk in love with them? What does it look like for that family member that you're just having all sorts of conflict and all sorts of challenge? What does it look like for you to walk in love in that relationship? And what does it look like to live out that agape love? And are we as individuals walking in love? Are we you, this church community, are you walking in love? And what does that look like? I want to close with a quick story. Um, at Eastport Bible Church, uh, where I am the youth pastor, uh, a dear friend of uh, mine and uh, an amazing man in our church, um, he got cancer about nine months ago, and he passed away about a month and a half ago. His name was Charlie Peterson. And Charlie Peterson was a man who loved well. He understood what it was to love one another. And I felt, Charlie, he he was so amazing to me in that Charlie always told me the truth. But Charlie always covered it in love. And it was so amazing for me that I had this man who would speak truth to me and love me. And yet I also felt like he was my biggest advocate, my biggest fan, my biggest cheerleader. And he was always by my side. And the amazing thing at his memorial service, it went on for hours. People sharing how much he loved them well. And how much he lived in his life in such a way that they felt he loved them. Well, and one thing I learned that Charlie had a lot of people at that memorial service that believed that Charlie was their biggest fan and biggest supporter because he was so adamant with his life.
to love one another. And one quick example of this. Uh, four years ago, uh, we go every summer to this camp. It's called NTS Camp. It means never the same. We love it. We've been going. We've gone now four summers in a row. And this was the very first time we had ever gone. So this was four years ago. And we had one student who dropped out the day before. He couldn't go. There was some family stuff going on and he couldn't make it. And so the amazing thing about this camp is that it's really, really involved. I think the state got involved and to sign up, you have to sign up with like six pages of every information you've ever had about yourself. So it's not a simple thing to get someone signed up last minute. It's not like maybe in the olden days in youth ministry where, oh, you want to come? We're leaving in five minutes. Let's go. Like it, it's not that. And maybe Kevin understands like the changing times of how all of that stuff works. And so we had one student drop out. And we had this other student who had shown up a couple of times in youth group and he hadn't really found his niche, but he was struggling, massive struggles in his life with family, with personal issues, with things going on. And so Charlie went on this solo mission to find Stephen and get me to get Stephen to come to camp. Stephen was this, this student, this kid that I was referring to that was going through these, these hard times. And so uh, we were having a family day that day and Charlie was calling me and calling me and calling me. I didn't have my phone on me and I came home and there was 17 missed calls from Charlie. And uh, I'm like, oh man, what is going on? It's emergency. So, and that very second, I'm about to call him back. He pulls up in my driveway and he comes up to me, says, Jeremy, Jeremy. I'm like, oh no, what is going on? This is bad. This is really bad. So my heart is like sinking and he comes up to me. He goes, We've got to get Steven to camp. He's coming. I'll pay for it. I'll do whatever it takes. We got to get him to go. And I go, whoo, <laughs> like, okay. I can deal with this one. We can figure it out. And so we did everything we need to do. We scrambled to get all the paperwork. Charlie paid the full bill, $300. No big deal. He's off and running. And he filled the spot of this student that couldn't come. And so Stephen was there at camp for the week. And I've got his permission to tell this story. But on Wednesday night of camp, Stephen gave his life to Jesus. And Stephen told us, shared with us, that just a week before, he was looking to, to ways to, to end it all. He was struggling so much. It was having such difficulty just processing life. And Stephen, four years later, a month ago, at Charlie Peterson's funeral, he was sitting right over there at Eastport Bible Church. He stood up during the sharing time and he said, Charlie Peterson saved my life. I am changed forever because the love that Charlie Peterson showed me in my life. And he sat down. 17-year-old boy. He's now one of our student leaders. We've taken him to Costa Rica on a mission trip two times. Now he's fluent in Spanish. He's fluent in English. He was an incredible leader for us in Costa Rica. It's amazing. Charlie Peterson could have had a hundred different things to do that day. Could have done whatever, whatever was going on with his family. He hunted me down to make sure Stephen got to camp. What does it look like for us to walk in love? What does it look like for us to love one another 
just as Jesus said, just as I have loved you. What does that look like? What does that look like for me? What does it look like for you? What does that look like for Berean Bible Church? What does that look like to love one another just as Christ has loved us? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love. God, that love was expressed so fully and so completely by sending your son, Jesus, to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He never had any sin in his life. He was fully God, but yet also fully man. And he gave up his life on the cross, shedding his blood for us, showing us the full extent of his love. And obviously we know that love could not keep its hold on him. He rose from the dead, conquering death fully expressing his love, his grace for each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray certainly if there is anyone in this room who hasn't accepted that love that Christ showed us, God, that you showed us by sending your son, that this morning that they would accept that love. And God, I pray for all of us that as you have commanded us to love one another just as your son Jesus loved us, us. Lord, I pray that as we think of ways that we can live that out in our communities, amongst our families, as individuals in our workplaces, certainly this church community, I pray that you will help us to understand how we best can love one another just as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us today, opening God's Word. I know it's a challenge to all of us. Amen? Amen. God's going to use that in our lives this week, and uh, we're just glad you, you're here today. And, uh, you know, I just want to take this opportunity to take advantage of this a little bit, too, to remind you that as we put in our bullets in our need for children's workers, children's church helpers, our youth ministries, that uh, Jeremy is a product of our children and youth ministry. It's the reason why we put so many resources in it. He's one of a dozen young adults serving around the country, around the world right now, doing the same type of thing, full-time Christian ministry. And all of our other young adults that are serving the Lord in various places, and um, that's why it's important to us. And uh, I just want to encourage you. That one of my best memories of Jeremy, I think of Jeremy, who's about four years old. He was out there in the gym, and he was all by himself, and he had a regulation-sized basketball, and he spent about a half hour trying to get that ball up in that hoop. (laughs) And I always remember that over and over and over and over again. And uh, Jeremy's been a blessing to many. Thank you so much. This morning, I just want to ask, before we leave, our mission pledge goal is $111,190. So we're getting close for our $125,000 goal to uh, support our missionary endeavors. So please remember to pray for that. Let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that Jeremy's brought to us today. And we pray, Lord, that we would open our hearts to your love, to be a vessel of your love here in this church faith community, with our own families, our children and youth, with our neighbors, and with those that we will walk with and rub shoulders with in this coming week. We don't know, Lord, who you might bring across our paths that the simple message of the gospel of the grace of God expressed 
through our love, through our kindness, through our words, through your word, could change a life. Just as the life of that young man that Jeremy shared this morning, Lord. And uh, we, we pray that we would be channels of your blessing and of your love this day. We, we walk with you. We love you. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. And we leave this place rejoicing for having been in your presence and for worshiping through song and word today as we continue to worship our wonderful Savior. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much and we leave this place. In Christ's name, all God's people can say it together. Amen. Amen.